Donald Trump called him tough. Rush Limbaugh read one of his articles live on his radio show. Ann Coulter tweeted that article to her one and a half million followers and declared, every sentence is perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, former chief editor of the Jewish Press, Elliot Resnick. Welcome to the Elliot Resnick Show, where we interview fighters and firebrands on the political and cultural battlefields. Masks work, your local neighbor screams at you. Masks work, proclaims Tony Fauci. Masks work, says virtually every Democrat and government health official. Yet, if masks work, how come states with severe mask mandates have just as many COVID deaths as states without them? How come countries with draconian mask rules see the same surges in COVID cases as those without them? These are the questions that our guest today, Ian Miller, has been asking almost since the beginning of the pandemic. For close to three years now, he has been collecting publicly available COVID data, plotting them on charts and sharing them on Twitter. And every graph shows the same thing. Mask mandates do nothing to prevent COVID cases or COVID deaths. The evidence is overwhelming and undeniable. And I published these charts on several occasions in the Jewish press in 2020 and 2021 when I was that paper's chief editor. Yet, despite all the evidence, politicians and so-called experts continue to advise people, even small children, heaven help us, to wear masks. It's our great honor to welcome Ian Miller to the program right now. Ian, by the way, published a book earlier this year called Unmasked, The Global Failure of COVID Mask Mandates. It has blurbs from Ann Coulter, Tom Woods, and Clay Travis, and I urge listeners to hop onto Amazon to buy it. Ian, let me start with your background. Who are you, and why should people listen to you if you're not a scientist? <laughs> well, thanks very much for the introduction. I appreciate it. Why should people listen to me if I'm not a scientist? I would say that the, the easiest way to answer that is just all of the information that's put in the book that I've posted on Twitter. It's all publicly available and verifiable. So essentially, anybody can recreate what I've done if they just you know download the same information and plot it onto an Excel chart. You know, it doesn't require any specific analysis or scientific background in order to use Excel, honestly. And that's 99% of what I'm doing is just taking information from the New York Times, the Johns Hopkins website, uh, the World Health Organization, downloading it into an Excel spreadsheet, and then plotting it along and looking up, you know, when did we do mask mandates? When did we do this policy? Or a lot of times there's quotes from these supposed experts about what they expected to happen after mask mandates were in place or after they were going to be lifted. As far as who I am, you know, I I did not expect to be doing this at all. I'm sure many of us who've kind of taken on COVID policies did not expect to be doing this, but I came from the entertainment industry when this all started, but I had some background working in data and data analysis. Which corner of the entertainment industry are you in? So I'm no longer in it, but I used to work for uh, some film production companies when I started, got out of college. I went to USC film school and worked for some film companies and then wound up working for a music management company for, God, almost eight years. So did that. And that's where I was when this all started. And you know, obviously the music business was heavily affected by COVID policies because there were no concerts and live touring is essentially the overwhelming majority of the music business's income. So when that got shut down, that was the big impact to their business and what I was doing. So uh, it kind of personally affected me. In your book, you point out that before the pandemic, the medical establishment claimed based on numerous studies and years of research that masks do not prevent the spread of respiratory disease. Then suddenly in April, 2020, it claimed that masks do stop that type of disease. How do you explain the reversal? Was there a major study done in the previous month in March that changed scientists' minds? No, definitely not. I'm glad you brought that up because it is, I think, one of the central points of, of all of this is you know, what happened from March to April in 2020. Because 
in late March, Anthony Fauci was sent an email from an employee at the National Institutes of Health explaining, we reviewed all this high quality randomized controlled trial evidence on masking, and all of it said masks don't work. This is March 31st. April 3rd, Fauci and the CDC say everybody should wear masks. There's nothing that changed in four days, right? My explanation is a combination of kind of wishful thinking, incompetence, arrogance, and just kind of uh, uh, wanting to be seen as doing something. Um, I've I've had it suggested to me, and I think it makes some sense that the government officials wanted to give people the like okay to leave their house. And they thought that saying everybody should wear a mask would make people feel more comfortable. They realized they couldn't keep the economy shut down forever. So they were like, well, if we recommend masking, we can kind of make people feel protected when they leave. Of course, it didn't work. And I think that in their incompetence, they didn't realize how just doing a mask recommendation would lead to the kind of like draconian policies. And as you said, kid child masking that we've seen for two and a half, three years now almost. The other thing is I think they saw how Asian countries were doing, Japan and South Korea in particular, and it seemed to be doing very well at the time with COVID. And so they thought, oh, well, it must be masking because Japan and South Korea have a masking culture, and which I don't think is entirely accurate either. But And that explanation is definitely not held up over time. Obviously, Japan and South Korea have now reported huge surges in COVID cases, and South Korea has more cases than the United States now per capita. After seeing dozens of your charts last year, I said to myself, these politicians and medical experts like Fauci are just, they're criminals. That was the conclusion I came to. But then I thought to myself, what if there is another explanation? What could a possible other explanation be? And the only one I could come up with is maybe Ian Miller's charts are inaccurate. So I just want to make sure your data does not come from a right-wing fringe organization, right? It comes directly from the government. That's 100% correct. Yes, it's all directly from reputable tracking sources. Yep. (laughs) Okay, so now let me, let me get some specifics. So you've released many charts to the, to the public. It might be even in the thousands now. But let's focus for a moment on your charts on Florida versus California. California had draconian lockdown and mask rules. Florida did not. What did you find when you dug into the data? Well, I think there's a couple of ways to point out Florida and California, one of which, and perhaps the most important of which, is that if you adjust for age, the results in Florida and California have been essentially identical but in terms of COVID deaths. Obviously, Florida has a much higher average age than California does. And when you adjust for that, the results are nearly identical. So Florida kept everything open as much as possible. There were no mask mandates for the state. In fact, they tried to limit them as much as possible. And obviously, fewer people were wearing masks in Florida than in California, especially in winter of 2020 to into 2021. There were a lot of experts like Fauci and Anthony Slavitt and others that were saying, oh, you know, Florida's not going to succeed in reopening their state. They're doing it too soon. They're doing it too quickly. It's, it's risky. It's not going to work. And then Florida had a much lower case rate than California during that winter. And I believe a lower death rate as well. So again, this is what I was saying earlier about the, you know, putting stuff in the book about experts making these predictions. They would say, if you listen to us, you will do better. California listened to them and they did not do better. And when you look at excess deaths as well, Florida and California, I think were nearly identical. I, I haven't looked in a couple of months, but last time I did, I think they were identical or Florida had slightly overperformed compared to California. And that encompasses all causes of death. It's not just COVID. And obviously um, there are other ancillary harms to COVID policies like mental health issues. Uh, you know, we've seen suicide increases, unfortunately, and many other things that um, have happened as a result of these kind of draconian lockdowns that California did. So it's a good comparison in some ways because it, re- it really does show how little impact there is from being the strictest state in the country and one of the more open states in the country. So, you know, if these policies worked, there should be a difference and there just isn't. 
And Tom Woods, who's a prominent libertarian, says, look at these charts and let me take out the lines where it shows where the mask mandate started or where the lockdown mandate started. And let me ask you to guess when they impose a mask mandate or when they impose a lockdown mandate. And there's no way you would ever be able to guess because there's no correlation whatsoever in these spikes between when the mask rule started, when it ended. No correlation at all. That's exactly right. And you can do it the same way with the states as well. If I showed you a chart of Florida and California, two lines and said, which one do you think had the mask mandates and the longer school closures and the lockdowns and curfews, et cetera, et cetera, in which they did none of that and ask you to choose based off of the results, most people would probably get it wrong. Let me ask you about Sweden. Famously, it was one of the only countries in the world that did not really lock down or really impose mask mandates. It's three years later. What do the data show? Sweden's another example of the media kind of rushing to judgment where they were very heavily criticized early on because they didn't do what everybody else did. And Sweden just basically followed all of the pre-pandemic planning. You mentioned earlier how all the research had showed masks didn't work. These pandemic planning documents, they all kind of said the same thing, which is there should be as minimal disruption to normal life as possible. You want things to maintain a sense of normalcy for the general public. Um, Schools should not close. Essentially, that was another pre-pandemic kind of general consensus idea um, that Sweden followed. And they were heavily criticized because the media didn't want them to succeed. <laughs> they, For whatever reason, that they just immediately bought into lockdowns, lockdowns, lockdowns. Um, and so anybody that kind of went against their assertions, what meant they had to be criticized and, and Sweden was. And then if you look now, they have one of the lowest excess mortality rates in Europe over the past three years. And again, that's probably the most important indicator of the pandemic's impact because it encompasses everything. It's not just COVID deaths. There's other things that happen too. Um, And they have one of the lowest rates of excess mortality in Europe. And, you know, they've also done generally very well by the standards of even COVID deaths. It's, I think they're somewhere in the 60th range across the whole world. You know, that's right in the middle of the pack essentially. And yet they still, it's all kind of disappeared. And that's a broader media trend as well, is that when when they criticize them, that's becomes uh, Sweden is an experiment and human sacrifice type thing. And then as soon as they're kind of disproven, they disappear. They just, they shrink back into the coverage of other countries. So it's a great example, again, of, of how just inaccurate a lot of media coverage has been, a lot of expert consensus has been, and how unwilling they are to admit those mistakes. If these experts, so-called experts, unfortunately, we have to call them now, if they just apologize every once in a while, they said, you know what, we have, we're sorry, we told you only two weeks to stop the spread, now we realize it's more serious than we thought, people would trust them so much more if they just would ever admit that they were wrong. They never admit they're wrong, which just undercuts all their credibility. Yeah. It's very sad. I just want to flesh out the thing about excess deaths because not everyone is following it so super closely. The basic argument, I think, is, is more or less as follows, that if you have lockdowns, mask rules, people, maybe they're they're dying from heart attacks, from stress. You're, you're home all day long with your marriage as it is was shaky, so now you're getting divorced. You had a cancer, which you didn't go to the hospital for. Um, you had a heart attack. So these are – meaning excess deaths – That's why you're saying such a critical measure, I believe, because there are other deaths that actually mask mandates and lockdown mandates could cause or even vaccines could cause. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. It's deaths from all causes. So it's the entire impact. And there has been an increase in deaths throughout the pandemic, you know, probably due in large part to COVID. It does have a significant impact on the elderly, especially in, you know, immunocompromised people. But when you look at excess mortality, it encompasses everything. So it's a much more broad measure than just focusing specifically on COVID. Basically, what they're doing is they're just saying, you know, here's a year given the last 10 years, what how many people we would expect to die in a given year in a certain country. 
and how many people have actually died uh, over those couple of years in that given country. Right. right. Um, and so you can kind of, yeah, you can create a percentage extra over, over the expected level. And, and when you do that, you can see how well, again, Florida and Sweden have done compared to expectations in that metric, which I think is more important because it, it covers, like you say, ancillary effects, lockdown caused deaths, you know, missed cancer screenings, mental health problems, et cetera. Yes, because people get heart disease if they're very stressed. And if uh, you know, you're locked at home and you lost your job, that could certainly cause stress. And it's one other point I want to flesh out before I get to the next question, which is something that I had forgotten about, the idea that people who have been studying and preparing for years for pandemics, and they've had plans for what would we do in theory if there were, was a pandemic. And the mask was never part of that, correct? Just I, mean, you, I think you've mentioned that before. Is that correct? Yeah. And essentially, when you go back and read these documents and the World Health Organization put one out in 2019. So this is obviously you know, essentially right as the pandemic was about to start. And their recommendations were basically like, we have no good evidence that masks work at all. None. You know, they can be conditionally recommended because it might work. That's basically what they say. It could work, but we have no evidence to suggest that it does. But that's specifically mostly for healthcare providers and, and not for the general public. And that's why if you go back and look at the World Health Organization's Twitter page in early 2020, there's nothing about wearing masks. And it's the same thing with the CDC. You know, the CDC in February of 2020 did this like telebriefing with a bunch of journalists and people were asking questions about like, well, if this does become a serious issue here, uh, what can Americans do to protect themselves? And the, he references this pre-pandemic planning document that they said they reviewed 16 years of articles that were published in journals and uh, took them years to put together this document. And all they recommend for personal protection is basically staying home if you're sick. That's what it amounts to. There's nothing about masks. They're buying N95s or using high quality, well-fitted masks. Nothing about that at all. It's exclusively just basic stay home if you're sick type precautions among small other things. And that all was tossed out. And now they've kind of rewritten those books out of, I mean, with no evidence whatsoever. There's no new randomized controlled trial suggesting that masking works. But they've rewritten those guidance books regardless. And now forever, uh, the experts are going to say, oh, we have to wear masks. They're already doing it. There's some colleges that have tried to mandate masks for the flu. So it's really disconcerting how they took, they did actually do high quality work for a long time. And then they just threw it out. And now because it's become a political issue for them, you know, they've kind of turned the opposite direction and made it their sole focus of their pandemic policy. At one point, my frustration, I just went online to try to figure out what their argument was. And I clicked on some Washington Post article and said, no, masks do work. Look, there was a study that when people sneeze and I had all these charts about people sneezing, I'm thinking people don't go around all day long sneezing on other people's faces. That's not what we're talking about. First of all, most people cover their ha- their mouth when they sneeze. Second of all, we're talking about people just walking and breathing, not sneezing. How insulting to my intelligence that your argument for masks is based on a mannequin sneezing. But all right, it's a separate story. Um, a question people ask about masks, even you know people on our side, is that surgeons wear masks. Why do surgeons wear masks if they don't work? Yeah, I get that all the time on Twitter. And it's an infuriating question because it's just completely misunderstanding why they do that. Uh, First of all, there's no good quality evidence to justify masking surgeons at all, period, none. And there's several articles about this. I think I referenced a couple in the book, you know, basically saying it's never been shown that it does anything. In fact, there was a study comparing surgeons wearing masks during operations to those not wearing masks. And essentially what they were trying to to measure was how many infections there were in patients that they were operating on after the surgeries. Because in theory, why surgeons wear masks is to stop 
bacteria and large droplet type material, but globules, things like that, from dropping into a body wound when they're doing an operation. But also, I was told, and this makes some sense, that they, it can stop, in theory, things kind of splattering up and hitting the surgeons in the face. So that's what it's supposed to do. It's not to prevent infectious disease transmission. But even when they'd measure it for how many infections there were, if surgeons were masked or unmasked, they found that there were higher rates of infections when surgeons were wearing masks. So it's entirely different purpose than wearing, you know, wearing a mask for infectious disease transmission. And even for that purpose, it does not do well. It, it has failed in the, you know, the measurements that people have done. So it's, again, it's a it's complete misconception, complete misunderstanding. And something I've always brought up to people and they have no answer for it is, okay, well, so surgeons wear masks. Why don't any other doctors, if, if that's why they were wearing them to stop infectious disease transmission, why, when you go see a radiologist or, you know, a cardiologist, they're not wearing a mask, but at least they weren't pre-COVID, right? If you go to see an ear, nose, and throat specialist, they're not wearing masks. And yet there's just no kind of awareness of the contradiction there, the inherent contradiction. Oh, well, doctors wear them. They must work. And it's like, well, you know, doctors do a lot of things just because that's the way things have always been done, not because there's a lot of evidence to suggest that it's the best course of action. That's exactly what's happened with surgeons. And it's not applicable to any other type of doctor out there. I get your point that the studies show that there's no point, but I just want to clarify what you said about the difference. So the difference would be that that in theory, that what you're trying to prevent is that they might be talking and some spittle might come out of their mouth and go right into the open cut up body versus when we're talking about masks, we're just talking about breathing as opposed to actual spittle. Is that, is that the distinction you're making or? Yeah. So COVID is now predominantly accepted that it's spread via aerosols, which is, means it's airborne transmission. Aerosols are much smaller than droplets. They go right through mask material, which is why they don't work in the public. So droplets would be kind of like spittle, basically, right? Yeah. Bacteria is it's carried in much larger particles than, than aerosols. Aerosols are more like smoke. And it's the kind of, you know, when you see people, somebody vaping or smoking a cigarette, that's essentially what aerosols are. It's a totally different type of thing that they're trying to block than viral transmission. And there's a lot of people who do great work showing the difference between like viral particles and bacterial particles and things like that. Okay, got it. Um, there were all sorts of arguments going around during COVID, but your charts, I think, are extremely powerful because, the, the, you know, the data is right in front of your face. The, so you can see when masks and lockdowns rule started and what happened to the COVID deaths and COVID cases before and after. Why wasn't Donald Trump and Republican politicians sharing your charts every single day? I know for a fact that some of the charts did make their way into people like Donald Trump's office and, and other places. And, um, you know, I think, unfortunately, it was kind of after the cat was out of the bag. You know, it was it was a little too late where it became such a, a heavily political issue for for the media. And, you know, the, obviously the media's kind of functions as an extension of the Democratic Party these days in many ways. And so that became, you know, I think at the time it was considered a losing issue because people were so committed to, quote unquote, the science. You know, I, I think in 2020, unfortunately, they're just maybe a, a majority of the people were supportive of masking because they thought it would work to them. It was like, oh, well, it's a barrier in front of my face. It's going to stop me from getting COVID. Over time, I think that attitude has dramatically shifted as people have realized, well, you know, look, I did everything right. I wore a mask. I did what I was supposed to do. I don't, you know, avoid crowds and I still got COVID. So I think it kind of took some time for people to come around to it. You know, look, I, I do agree. I wish that there was more of a push to get this kind of information didn't mean just from me, but from, you know, anybody could have recreated it in the White House or in other politicians' offices and said, you know, look, these states are doing these these mandates. Everybody's trying it. 
it's just not working and saying, you know, look, we, we can't continue to do something that's not working just because it makes us feel better. We have to focus on evidence-based policy. There are other harms to this, especially in schools. But I, I think any time that they tried any time to do anything to do that, it became, you know, a huge hot button issue um, where, you know, you had teachers unions that w- were protesting schools reopening by driving around in hearses and, and, you know, posing in coffins and stuff like that. So it was just such a highly charged atmosphere that a lot of politicians weren't willing to take that on. I think Ron DeSantis in Florida did a great job of it. And he really, I think he did actually use some charts that I made or something similar in interviews on Fox News. And that kind of did help move the conversation towards the stuff isn't really working, but it just took too long for it to become acceptable even to talk about or question. And a lot of Republican politicians did a terrible job. Mike DeWine in Ohio was talking about, oh, I wish I had known the power of masking and all this stuff. And yeah, it's just, it's ridiculous to look back at these statements now, knowing what we know. And it was really indefensible at the time, but I think there's this attitude of wanting to feel like you're one of the smart ones and smart people, quote unquote, were listening to the science. Yeah. And unfortunately, I mean, I live in New York. You still have plenty of people who wear masks on the street. I was passing a kid, five-year-old kid the other day on the street wearing a mask. I mean, the lunacy has not ended, unfortunately. Um, I want just two more questions. You wrote in your latest article on Substack, quote, COVID is going to infect everyone multiple times throughout their life. Even if masks worked, which they don't, what's the point of trying to avoid the unavoidable? Wondering if you could just elaborate on that. Yeah, well, it's it's an endemic virus. You know, the people don't get the flu once in their life. They get it multiple times in their life because the strains change, et cetera. And obviously we've seen that happen with COVID in just three years. There's been how many variants? They're all different. It's going to continue to, to mutate forever. It's it's never going away. Obviously, as we know, we can't eliminate it. You know, just look at what's going on in China right now. And because they've, they've focused on this zero COVID fantasy of, of preventing all COVID cases forever. Even Australia and New Zealand, who were extremely draconian and unjustifiably aggressive towards their population for doing normal human activity, um, even they gave up on that after a time. So, you know, I think this attitude of, well, uh, if you take the proper precautions, you can avoid getting COVID. It's ludicrous. It's insane. And, you know, any justification for masking policies at this point, once it became obvious that it was going to become endemic, which for most people paying attention was pretty early in 2020. There was no justification for any of these policies, for especially for masking. You can't avoid something that's unavoidable. You know, maybe somebody gets it six months later than somebody else, but they're going to continue to get it. And you know, thankfully, with natural immunity, it seems like it, you know it, it lasts for a substantial amount of time, and it's more protective when you do get it down the road. And thankfully, Omicron, you know, is a more mild variant, and we've kind of seen it mutate towards more more mild variants. So yeah, it, it's ridiculous at this point, and even it was always ridiculous, but especially at this point to do masking policies because you're trying to prevent something that's not preventable. It's not possible to avoid getting COVID forever. So just kind of a wasted time and wasted energy that has other ancillary consequences uh, as a result. All right. The last question I want to ask you about is Brooklyn because I'm an Orthodox Jew. Many of my listeners are Orthodox Jews and Orthodox Jews got criticized a lot. Generally speaking, the more religious the Jews were, the less they followed the COVID rules. There's a lesson in there somewhere. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but that is more or less the fact. I tried to sort of follow your example and I went, New York City had a chart of how many people per 100,000 died 
in, in different neighborhoods in New York. And I tried to sort of isolate the Orthodox neighborhoods. And they were no worse. Sometimes they were even better than the average. Now, it's kind of difficult because some neighborhoods, you know, it's a mixture of the zip code. It could be half Hasidic and half black. And also Hasidim have more kids. I mean, I, I couldn't do a sort of more sophisticated analysis. But the, the little analysis I did, kind of like Williamsburg and Borough Park and Flatbush and Crown Heights, these are all very heavily Orthodox neighborhoods in New York. Their death rates were not higher. Sometimes they were even lower than the average of New York. I was wondering, wondering though, if you ever looked at different Orthodox Jewish neighborhoods because they were in the news several times. Yeah, unfortunately, I didn't. But that's exactly what I would have done. And that's a great comparison. And I, I think, you know, obviously, like you're saying, it's hard to do a completely uh, sophisticated analysis. But I think the broader point stands, which is if these measures were so important, if staying home in 2020 was so important and masking and whatever other policies were so important, and there was a community of people who weren't listening to those, that's a somewhat of a control group. And if these things were so important, we would see the difference. And we don't every time. You know, and you can do these comparisons with county level data, which I do multiple times throughout the book. And, you know, county level data is more granular than states and through countries. And when you make these comparisons all in the same metro regions, no matter what the policy is, it's the same results every time. You know, I do it with Metro DC, and it's a great comparison because you have three separate jurisdictions all within a very small area. You have Virginia, you've got DC, and you've got Maryland. They all had different rules at different times, and yet the results are identical, you know, for, for cases and all these other things. So, um, you know, I think that's exactly what I would have done. And I'm not completely surprised that that those were the results, you know, and for me personally, you know, watching from the West Coast, it was very heartening to see that there were people that were ignoring these mandates and were saying, it's more important to me to practice my religion than it is to submit to government mandates. And I think that's essentially what the country was founded on was, you know, our freedom is more important than tyranny. And we had a form of it through these COVID authoritarian COVID measures. So it was great to see that. And I'm, again, completely unsurprised that the results showed they'd fared no worse than anybody else. And mostly better, though. I, mean, I don't know what happens if you eliminate the idea that they have more kids. I don't know how that works out. But for the most part, it was actually better than average. And I even compared Orthodox neighborhoods actually more Hasidic versus less Hasidic. Because the more Hasidic you were, the less you were following the rules. And the Hasidic neighborhoods were not worse than the other neighborhoods. They actually sometimes were better, in terms, even among Orthodox Jews. So I thought that was interesting. And one last thing I thought was interesting, or not interesting, infuriating in, in a certain way. There was a report in the New York Post and other places, Hasidic wedding, 700 people packed into this small room. Because among some Hasidim, it's very important when the daughter of their Rebbe gets married. And I was thinking to myself, a real scientist would say, interesting, 700 people just ignored us and packed into one room. Let me look at what happens over the next two weeks. That's what a normal, dispassionate scientist would do. Of course, they didn't do it, though. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, there were a lot of opportunities for study. I know this doctor on Twitter, Vinay Prasad, who's very kind of uh, you know COVID contrarian like me or like you, and he's pointed out many, many times that how important it would have been to conduct another randomized control trial. You know, If we think masks in schools are so effective, why didn't somebody do a randomized control trial on it? We've had plenty of opportunities, and they didn't do it. And I think the answer to exactly what your example is as well. So they didn't want to. They didn't want to find the example and they didn't think they needed to. And then for a large part, they didn't because a lot of local authorities especially are terrified and they're cowardly and they just kind of appeal to authority where they say, well, the CDC says we have to do this. We're just following CDC guidelines. I mean, how many times did you hear that, especially with schools? Oh, well, we have to have masks in schools because the CDC recommends that we're in high transmission. We should all wear masks. Instead of examining evidence or, or getting outside opinion, they just kind of outsourced all their decision making and their thought process to the CDC or for Dr. Dr. Fauci or to any other of these other kind of uh, you know authoritarian bodies that were 
enforcing policies. And it's, it's really frustrating. And I wish there had been better, high, higher quality research done. The few examples that have been done, there was a study in North Dakota on schools, two different school districts that were next to each other. One was mass, the other wasn't, and it showed there was no difference. Um, so even when they did, people did try to do these, they got the same results that you and I did, which is it didn't matter. All right. Thank you so very much, Ian Miller, for your time. And I really encourage everyone to follow you on Twitter. Your charts are indispensable for an educated person to be making the anti-mask argument. Putting a mask over your face, is just, it's, it's not a human thing. It's, it strips you of your humanity. So if you're going to do that to people, you have to have a very good reason and extremely good evidence. And if you don't, uh, you can't do that. But so exactly. Anyways, thank you so much again and continued good luck to you and all your work. No, thanks very much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. That does it for us. A couple of announcements before I go. Number one, I revamped my website, one versus 450.com. That's one vs 450.com. Now has a new look to it. Check it out to read my articles, to buy my books at discounted prices, to sign up for my newsletter, and more. Announcement number two my weekly Rav Shamshan Rafal Hirsch Dvar Torahs are now being carried by Rut Sheva. This week's Dvar Torah for Parshas Vayishlach is already up on the website, so don't miss it. Or you could sign up to my newsletter and get it directly in your inbox, if you so please. And announcement number three. If you feel that you are undereducated and that there are many famous books that you have always wanted to read but never had time to read, let me read them for you. I started a new program called Educate Yourself Through Elliot. I've already covered Plato's Republic and Dostoevsky's The Idiot. Next week, I probably will be doing Shakespeare's King Lear, then Rousseau's Emile to follow that, followed by many other famous books. Educate yourself through me. I will read the book. I will review it for you. Go through all the major points, all the points that you should know as an educated person. And if you sign up for that program, either for one month or for the entire year, you will get my research papers that I wrote in graduate school on Mayor Kahana and the Civil Rights Movement and the morality of the Judenrat. And if you sign up for the entire year, you get additionally papers on staving off reform Judaism in, in Victorian England, Mendel Meichers Farm's solution to the Jewish problem, Zionism in mid-19th century America, Nietzsche and Israel Eldad of Lehi, that's the underground group in the 1940s in Israel, and a paper on Marcus Lehman's novels. Those papers are fascinating. And I don't say they're fascinating because I wrote them. They're fascinating because the topics themselves are fascinating. And I would have to have been a genius in order to ruin them. So if you've always wanted to be more educated than you are now, if you always wanted to know what some of these most famous books that have ever been written throughout human history are about, sign up for this Educate Yourself Through Elliot program. It's available on my website, 1vs450.com, 1vs450.com, and you can begin your journey to being a more knowledgeable human being. All right, stay tuned for next week's episode of The Elliot Resnick Show.